Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome as our guest, Beck Stevens. Beck, welcome and thank you for coming back to the program. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Listeners are not familiar with Beck. She was with us a couple of years ago. We just looked at that. I can't believe it's been two years or almost three years. So, Beck, would you share with our listeners before we begin your topic a little bit of your educational background and your teaching career, please? Sure. So I have a bachelor's in history from St. Lawrence University in upstate New York and a master's in education from Lemoyne College right here in the Syracuse area. And then I have been teaching seventh grade social studies for 27 years at Eagle Hill Middle School in Fayetteville, Manly, SSS, suburb of Syracuse. And if you're being a little honest, aren't you eligible for some sort of a teaching award possibly coming up? Well, yeah, I'm currently the New York State Council for Social Studies, the Outstanding Middle School Teacher of the Year, and I've been nominated for the National Award. Which is a great honor. And you're also on the council for another organization. I, I don't know, Beck, why am I having to pull these things out of you? Stop being so much. I'm on the teacher advisory board for the National Constitution Center also. Uh, which means once in a while, listeners, she gets to spend some time in Philadelphia at the Constitution Center. And I keep asking her to have dinner with me, but she keeps refusing to have dinner with me because she won't come out of the city. <laughs> and we won't come in. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so listen, again, Beck has been a friend of mine. I consider her a close friend for several years. As I met her several years ago. She started taking courses through the Freedoms Foundation. And Beck is also very good friends with Lindsay Randall, who's been on the program many times. And you will recognize Lindsay's accent when the program she does. I always, when they're together, I call them Laverne and Shirley except it's really Laverne and Squirrely, and Squirrely is Lindsay. So Beck is the normal way in the relationship. So we have a lot of fun together. I think we communicate, text a lot back and forth throughout the year, and um, there's a lot of opportunities we had to share life together. So, okay, Beck, what is your topic? And I know what your topic is, so share it with our listeners, please, and we'll get right into what you had to offer for the listeners today. So my topic really is, should a traitor be erased from history? And it is a topic about Benedict Arnold. A lot of people only know Arnold as a traitor, and they don't realize his incredible contributions to the revolution. So I actually became interested in this topic as a result of reading a kid's historical fiction book called The Notorious Benedict Arnold. And that kind of sparked my interest. And then I was on a tour of the Saratoga battlefield. And when I was on that tour, I saw the monument to Arnold's injured leg. And it says to one of the best generals or the bravest generals of the Continental Army, and there's no name on the monument. And that was really intriguing. And then on one of my first dates with my husband, actually, we went to the Saratoga Monument, which is an obelisk much like the Washington Monument. And there are statues on three sides, and then there's an empty niche, which is supposedly where Benedict Arnold would be. So kind of that combination of things caused me to become really interested in Arnold and to start to craft this lesson. Back to youth believe is he the most notorious or infamous general in American history? 
And if he is, why? Because that name is synonymous with nothing positive. Yeah, I do believe that he, I mean, if you say traitor in our country and you ask anyone who's the biggest traitor ever in the United States, I would think most people would say Benedict Arnold. So that's kind of why I created a lesson around this. So and then this past summer had the opportunity at the Society of the Cincinnati, which is in Washington, D.C., I had the opportunity to really dig in and start looking at primary sources to boost this lesson to make it better. And with your research that you have done and you have done this past summer, has your opinion of Arnold changed at all or has it been solidified more in what you already were thinking and feeling about this man? Um. Yeah, I think the better I get to know Arnold, the better I understand kind of where he comes from and how he ended up where he did. Do I think it was right? No. <laughs> but do I think that there's a lot more to Arnold than meets the eye? Absolutely. And when the boot monument at Saratoga, was there an interest in Arnold even before you read the kids book or was there just something that oh, it's Benedict Arnold, maybe I should find out some more about this person. So um, the kids' book, so I run a historical fiction book club with kids at school. And so I am always looking for titles that kind of fit into the time period that I'm teaching. And so I read the kids' book with students. And really, I think that really sparked a bigger interest for me in him. And then Seeing that monument after having read that book, it was kind of that combination that made me realize that I wanted to learn more. I want to go out on thin ice here, Beck. Do you remember the first time that you and I were at the uh, Boot Monument at Saratoga together? Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I do. You had me lead part of the tour. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Uh, we were out Saratoga, and Beck was very familiar with that area, and at that particular point, my bearings were not exactly correct as I got turned around a little bit. And Bex says, I know I can get everybody right there. And all she took the group right up to the boot monument. And from that point on, it's been history between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I over your tour. Yeah, well, you did. Well, you, you were a great help. And there was often times on that tour listeners, that Beck would correct me on the pronunciation of one of her favorite generals. That, and that is who, Beck? That is Kosciusko. Kosciusko. And I remember I kept saying Kosciusko, Kosciusko. Every time I say it, you would, you would correct it. So that was a fun time. Fun time. Uh, your favorite author, as you were doing your research and when you were away this past summer at the Society of Cincinnati, is there a particular favorite author that you have of Arnold, the story of Arnold? Yes, absolutely. So um, I attended the Fort Ticonderoga Teacher Institute the first time in 2016. So all of a sudden, that's like what a lot of years ago. Um, and I'm a social studies teacher, not math. And uh, I had the opportunity to listen to James Kirby Martin. And if you ever get a chance to listen to this gentleman's mm -hmm. key is really knowledgeable about Benedict Arnold. And so I had the opportunity to listen to him. And that just even made my interest greater. But he's the source I go to. And I've actually met him in person twice now. Um, and he's my Facebook friend now, <laughs> which is just fun. So but he is just incredibly knowledgeable, kind, wonderful man. So he is my go to Arnold expert. 
And tell our listeners the title of the book, because the title alone would captivate people to read it. Yes. So it's Benedict Arnold, Revolutionary Hero, An American Warrior Reconsidered. If I recall correctly, Beck, James Curry Martin took a lot of heat when that book first came out because everybody just naturally assumed Arnold was a traitor, he was no good from the beginning, and he was just a scoundrel. And, yeah. and Kirby Martin puts a lot of meat on the bones of Benedict Arnold. And I, I, I recall oftentimes a lot of historians, he you know, took him to the woodshed. But after they read the book, they realized what he was actually talking about the whole time rather than just looking at the title. Yeah, well, and they have now made a documentary based off of his book. And I actually got to hear a conversation with James Kirby Martin and the directors of that. And they were talking about how to make that documentary to get funding for it was incredibly difficult because who wants to make a documentary about a traitor, you know? And so they really struggled with getting the funding and getting the movie produced. And so you can actually see when you watch this documentary, you know, that when they were doing the interviews with James Kirby Martin, he was a really young man. And by the time it was produced, he was not as young as he had been. <laughs> so, And is this documentary, is it available for listeners to listen to? Yeah, actually, it's a, you can watch it. It's a movie. Um, and they actually have hired some pretty talented actors and actresses for it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on most of the major streaming networks. But it's free on Prime. Okay. So, Free is good. Free is yeah, good. I like totally. free. Cheryl, what is Arnold's background? I mean, how does Arnold, where does he grow up? What does he do? How is he educated? How does he get to the point where he becomes a fairly successful general in the Continental Army? Yeah. So Arnold's early life, he was born very wealthy to this Connecticut family and, you know, raised going to private schools. His destination was supposed to be Yale. And then Things start to fall apart for him. His dad makes a series of bad investments. He's the only child of 11 different children to survive into adulthood. Many of his siblings died. And this is where I'm finding some conflicting evidence. I found yellow fever multiple times, but I also saw diphtheria in some sources. So maybe some died of one and some died of the other. But a lot of his siblings passed away. And this affected, obviously, his parents a lot. And so his dad, a combination of bad investments and losing his children, becomes an alcoholic and is wandering the streets of this Puritan community, you know, and he is almost excommunicated from the church, which is, you know, at that time period, the last thing that you want to have happen. And mom also becomes very, very religious and starts to write Arnold these letters about how God is arbitrary and beware because you could fall to evil. And so there's this kind of tone of his, he has to drop out of school and he's indentured to be an apprentice. He signs a contract. Huh. And so he becomes an apprentice to these Lathrop brothers, an apothecary business. And as he's apprenticed to them, Multiple times, he kind of disappears for a while and joins the militias in the French and Indian War because, you know, he really wants to be involved. He's very interested in the military. But as he continues on, 
the Stamp Act and the Sugar Act are devastating to him and to his business. And so he joins the Sons of Liberty and actually he helped to form his own militia very early on. Um, he forms a militia called the Sons of Connecticut. And so, you know, that's early, early. That's ahead of where most people were at that point in time. Yeah. He was kind of leading that. Back, was Arnold raised as a Puritan or when you said his mother became very religious, and but his father was all excommunicated? Almost excommunicated. Was he raised as a Puritan? I'm honestly not sure. Because I, I, you know, I, I hadn't even ever thought about that. So I'm... Yeah. I know that the community they lived in in Connecticut was very, very religious. And, you know, to have a dad who's wandering the streets after being born, you know, this very upper class family and to see dad fall all the way to him having to drop out of school. Yeah. Arnold having to drop out. Like, that's got to shape who you are, you know, you sure prove yourself after that. Did, did he ever mention or have you in your research, did he ever talk about what the influence of losing all his siblings did to him and also the relationship he had with his father? Yeah, I, I don't found any sources about that, but, you know, you can kind of infer it based on what you see him doing throughout the war, you know, that he that he's proving himself, that he wants to prove himself, that he's looking for connection which we'll get to the whole Peggy shipping thing later. <laughs> um, but you know, he's definitely looking for connection, looking to earn his way, redeem his name in many ways. He's Benedict the fifth, the fifth Benedict Arnold, you know, and so trying to redeem what his father had done. When he was in business, was he a successful business person before the revolution? He was on and off successful. Money problems, though, are going to plague him throughout his life. He, you know, he'll make bad investments. He'll make some shady deals during the war with military equipment. You know, he'll be brought up on charges for things. So, yeah, money is kind of a problem for him throughout his life. It seems that in my own personal reading, that was always part of his genre. That he was always so concerned about losing everything, but also he uh, gaining enough wealth to be stable in, in his life. Did you? Yeah, which you can understand. Sure. You know, you've had everything taken away from you so young, you know, that you were born to this prestige and then lose it. Lose it. And so. In your study, and to me, it always, when I've read about Arnold, it always seemed that he was always trying to prove his value or his worth. Yep. Okay. So yep. we saw that too. So how do we get from he's an apothecary business, he joins the Sons of Liberty, he helps form the militia. How does he get into the revolution from that point? So Fort Ticonderoga. Um, so he is given a commission to go and try to capture Fort Ticonderoga. Very strategic place between Lake Champlain and Lake George kind of guards the entrance to Canada. And so he is sent to capture Fort Ticonderoga. Well, as he's on his way, he discovers that, oh, wait a minute, Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys also believed that they have been given commissioned. And oh boy. Um, there's some argument about really whose commission it was, really who was supposed to do it. And so they go, they capture Fort Ticonderoga in the middle of the night. There are no deaths. So truly amazing that they are able to capture this fort without any battle happening. Very key strategic position for both the location of it, but also all of the cannons that are there that they're not going to do.
do the royal train of artillery to get them all the way to Boston, which is a whole nother story, fantastic story of how they get them there. But Beg, who commissioned him to go get Ticonderoga? I, who, condition, who commissioned Ethan Allen? I don't know who commissioned Ethan Allen, but I'm pretty sure that Arnold got the commission from the Continental Congress. Okay. And Ethan Allen listeners was the Green Mountain Boys. and Yeah, they're a rowdy bunch. <laughs> well, not they're like, all like Arnold was. They're, you know, Arnold they're like is. the mummers in Philadelphia on, on New Year's Day. So and I, I'm sure, Beck, these two guys together didn't go well because no, they're both no. strong personalities. Right. Very, very strong personalities. And that's one of the things, as you know, I read about Arnold, his personality was abrasive. Like not a lot of people loved Arnold because he just kind of had this abrasive personality. He was going to do what he wanted to do. So but what's amazing, and this is one of my favorite stories from Rich Strum, who's the educational director at Fort Tye. Um, and that's that Ethan Allen gets all the credit for what happened at Fort Ticonderoga. You know, Arnold is barely ever mentioned when you talk about Fort Ticonderoga. It's all about Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys. And supposedly when Allen captures Fort Ticonderoga, he does his famous line, come out, you old rat, in the name of the great Jehovah and the Continental Congress. And what's interesting about that line is the only source that actually says that he said it is his own autobiography, not a single person corroborate that detail. Uh, so that could be suspect to a hmm. Yeah. How are they able to take this fort without a shot? I mean, this is a significant fortification. Yeah, they do it. They come in the middle of the night and they they essentially sneak up on the fort and they you know, knock on the door and wake awaken the commander. And essentially, they don't, the British don't have time to respond. And so they capture the fort. And Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys stay there, hang out, and party for quite a while. And Arnold decides, you know what? He moves on and captures Port St. John, which gives the colonists the control of Lake Champlain. So, you know, Arnold is that kind of determined general that he's going to keep going on. Mm -hmm. And it's at Crown Point that June that he actually, with a group of men, writes um, one of the first documents I include in my lesson, which is the Declaration of Principles. And in it, they say, being greatly alarmed at the avowed design of the ministry to raise a revenue in America, they're shocked by the bloody scene happening in Massachusetts Bay. They want to carry into execution whatever measures may be recommended by the Continental Congress. And they want to preserve our constitution. So this is this is the type of person that Arnold is. Like he believes strongly in the values that they're talking about. And he, you know, they write this declaration of principles. He's the one that drafts it and all the men sign it at Crown Point in June 1775. So that's after capturing Fort Ty, moving on to Port St. John. So why do you think that Arnold is hardly mentioned at all? And Ethan Allen gets all the credit for Fort Ticonderoga. Is that because of the location or is that possibly because of what Arnold eventually does? I think it. I think that's a combination of things. I think it may be in part because of what he ultimately does. Ethan Allen writes this beautiful autobiography and it becomes very popular. So in part, it's because Ethan Allen promoted himself after the fact. And do you think that that is a small picture of Arnold's military career where he does some very important things and oh, it's, yeah. it's overlooked and he's almost vacated to... Yeah. I mean, he is over and over and over again 
by February of 1777, the British are nicknaming him the American Hannibal. Like they don't want to fight him. They don't they don't want to face him in battle because he's he's so good at what he does and he's so smart and so strategic. You know, you've got him help leading his men through the main wilderness in the Battle of Quebec, the Battle of Alcor Island. You know, he does this crazy move where he builds a whole flotilla on Lake Champlain and you know, he hides his men behind the island for protection, knowing, you know, just naval techniques are amazing. So, you know, there's just time and time again that he makes these really strategic moves. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, unpack a little bit for our listeners. Quebec, because you mentioned Quebec and Valcour Island. I'd like you to uh, go into a little bit more detail. What was Quebec? When was it? And why was Arnold at Quebec? Yeah, so Washington orders Arnold to go and try to help capture Quebec, he and Montgomery. And they go on this really horrific journey through the Maine wilderness. I love to talk to my students about how they end up in this condition where they, you know, they're they're literally not, they don't have food to eat. <laughs> they're eating boiled bark. They're, you know, and they do this really brave move because Washington and Many other people in the United States at the time kind of wanted to capture Canada as part of this war. You know, they thought that if they went into Canada, the Canadians would rally and that they too would want their independence from England. And it's not really the way it worked. But um, they, Montgomery is killed. Arnold is severely wounded in the leg. Um, there's a really famous painting of Montgomery fallen at that battle. And so it was a tragic thing. But Arnold was an incredible leader of the men in this failed attempt. You know, he still kept his men going in this horrific condition. So this is, listen, this is December 31st of 1775 in Quebec. So we can only imagine what the weather was like. Um, Yeah. Yeah, not good. And Arnold was able to get away from that battle. Is that correct? Yeah, even though he's severely wounded, he's able to get away and... You know, it, it 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 shows we fail in capturing Canada, obviously. Um, and so then we're back in the United States. And by the following fall, he has boats on Lake Champlain. Um, he's trying to stop a British invasion of New York City. So they, the British were trying to go down Lake Champlain to get to Lake George, down Lake George to get to the Hudson River to get to New York City. And he is credited with helping to kind of delay the British, to kind of throw them off for a while. Even though he was vastly outnumbered, their ships were way better than ours. He was able to kind of delay them. And then he actually burns all the ships after that battle so that they won't fall into British hands. With about a minute left back, we're going to pick this up because I have several other questions for you about Valcor Island or Valcor Bay. How did Arnold get experience with ships? Being a, a general, yeah, I I don't know. Do you know? Um, <laughs> all I know was, you know, I believe he did have some background in shipping. Um, you know, part of one of his businesses. But I I've never been able to find out how this man has this knowledge of being able to build ships to take on this fairly large British navy. Yeah, Lake Champlain. It's just amazing. So, well, we're. Beck, we're up against time, but we're going to pick it up here with Benedict Arnold in Valcor Island. So thank you for 
beginning to share a little bit of the background of Benedict Arnold and, and helping all of us realize that there's far more to this man than just, you know, deciding that the revolution's wrong and he's going to join the, the British side. So thank you, Beck, for beginning to share. We're going to pick it right up with Valcor Allen on our next show. So, All right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this part of Benedict Arnold with us. This is 1180 WFYL, Working for Your Liberty. <laughs>